Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Devastating. Absolutely devastating. The ruling by the International Court of Justice on South Africa's case of genocide against the State of Israel was far, far more damning than most expected. We will go through it, but let's be clear from the absolute outset. Those Western governments, politicians and journalists who have supported Israel's massacre of Gaza were, as per the ruling of the highest court on the face of the earth, cheering on a possible genocide. And I'm making that clear from the outset because... Emphasising complicity is crucial in order that there be accountability because Israel cannot continue its oppression of the Palestinian people, let alone its genocide, without the West's active support. Yes, genocide, that word. To be clear, the ICJ today never had the power to adjudicate whether a genocide is taking place in Gaza. That process, in fact, can take years. What South Africa was requesting is that in the interim period, of that process, given the scale of the catastrophe facing the people of Gaza, the court issued provisional rulings. That is, whether there was a plausible case that Israel was in violation of and failing to meet its obligations under the Genocide Convention of 1948. Now, as you'd expect, that includes committing genocide, but there are other offences for them, in fact. Conspiracy to commit genocide and also including direct and public incitement to commit genocide. Now, let's begin with a summary of the humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza. And it's given in her ruling, in her judgment, or provisional ruling, if you like, by Joan Donoghue, a former US lawyer, a former US State Department official, still a lawyer, of course, who was elected president of the ICJ back in 2021. The court notes that the military operation being conducted by Israel following the attack of 7 October 2023 has resulted in a large number of deaths and injuries, as well as massive destruction of homes, the forcible displacement of the vast majority of the population, and extensive damage to civilian infrastructure. While figures relating to the Gaza Strip cannot be independently verified, recent information indicates that 25,700 Palestinians have been killed, over 63,000 injuries have been reported, over 360 housing units have been destroyed or partially damaged, and approximately 1.7 million persons have been internally displaced. She then goes on to list examples of clear, unambiguous examples, in fact, of genocidal intent and incitement from senior Israeli politicians. The court has taken note of a number of statements made by senior Israeli officials. It calls attention in particular to the following examples. On 9 October 2023, Mr. Yoav Gallant, Defense Minister of Israel, announced that he had ordered a complete siege of Gaza City and then that there would be no electricity, no food, no fuel, and that everything was closed. On the following day, Minister Gallant stated, speaking to Israeli troops on the Gaza border, I quote, I have released all restraints. You saw what we are fighting against. We are fighting human animals. This is the ISIS of Gaza. This is what we are fighting against. 
Gaza won't return to what it was before. There will be no Hamas. We will eliminate everything. If it doesn't take one day, it will take a week. It will take weeks or even months. We will reach all places. End of quote. Then there's a fundamental component of South Africa's case that the Palestinian population of Gaza faced a real and imminent risk of irreparable harm. Judge Donoghue lists statements by senior UN officials to that effect. During the ongoing conflict, senior United Nations officials have repeatedly called attention to the risk of further deterioration of conditions in the Gaza Strip. The court takes note, for instance, of the letter dated 6 December 2023, whereby the Secretary General of the United Nations brought the following information to the attention of the Security Council. I quote, the healthcare system in Gaza is collapsing. Nowhere is safe in Gaza. Amid constant bombarding by the Israel Defense Forces and without shelter or the essentials to survive, I expect public order to break to completely break down soon due to the desperate conditions rendering even limited humanitarian assistance impossible. An even worse situation could unfold, including epidemic diseases and increased pressure for mass displacement into neighboring countries. We are facing a severe risk of collapse of the humanitarian system. The situation is fast deteriorating into a catastrophe with potentially irreversible implications for Palestinians as a whole and for peace and security in the region. Such an outcome must be avoided at all costs." End of quote. The fact that these statements were read out by the highest court on earth is important. Frankly, the preamble sounded much like it could have just been another submission by South Africa's legal team. It was that damning. The ICJ read out genocidal statements and the overwhelming evidence regarding the humanitarian catastrophe enveloping Gaza. That itself is a hugely powerful and significant move. Now, bear in mind what a win for Israel means, that the court dismisses the case and issues no provisional measures. That means the court would have ruled there is no risk that Israel is violating its legal obligations under the Genocide Convention of 1948, which is clearly emphatically Israel's position. That is an absolute outrage to even suggest or imply that it could be in danger of committing genocide. Or the court could decide that there is no urgency, therefore provisional measures aren't required. It only issues provisional measures in advance of its final decisions, that is this long drawn out process, if there is urgency, as she explains. In light of the foregoing, the court considers that there is urgency in the sense that there is a real and imminent risk that irreparable prejudice will be caused to the rights found by the court to be plausible before it gives its final decision. The court concludes on the basis of the aforementioned considerations that the conditions required by its statute for it to indicate provisional measures are met. So then the court goes on to list or issue provisional measures. Let's just go through them. That Israel must ensure with immediate effect that the state and its military do not commit any of the following acts. Killing members of the group, that is the Palestinians, a protected group, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, or impose measures intended to prevent births within the group. Now, this is important to discuss because there's a lot of focus on the court not demanding or issuing a demand for a ceasefire. It demands that Israel must take measures within its power as well to prevent and punish the direct and public incitement to commit genocide against the Palestinian people. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because in practice, that would mean punishing the prime minister, the president, 
the defence minister, much of the cabinet, many members of the Knesset, that is Israel's parliament, generals, soldiers on the ground, media outlets and journalists. They'd have to arrest, essentially, most of the Israeli establishment. And indeed, Israel is actually obliged to already do that under its own law. It translated the convention into domestic legislation in 1950, never clearly believing that it would ever be used against its own rulers, and makes the sentence for the crimes of the Genocide Convention, and again, not just the acts of genocide, but complicity and indeed incitement, the sentence is death under Israeli law. Not an exaggeration, that law remains intact, at least in theory. Well, clearly Israel isn't going to enact that commitment, and the court will know that. But by issuing this demand, the court is clearly making it clear that it holds the Israeli government, and indeed establishment, guilty of inciting genocide. Or at least many of the judges must have clearly thought that through because Israel is clearly not taking action against those who incite genocide, including those at the top. They further demand that Israel must take immediate and effective measures to enable the provision of urgently needed basic services and humanitarian assistance to address the adverse conditions of life. How could that be possible with Israel's siege? It isn't, and it is a crucial point in relation to a ceasefire. We'll come on to that. They also demand that Israel takes effective measures to prevent the destruction and ensure the preservation of evidence related to allegations of acts within the Genocide Convention. That is, don't start shredding and accidentally misplacing evidence that may demonstrate you are committing genocide or intend to commit genocide or want to commit genocide. They also demand Israel must submit a report to the court on all measures within a month. So Israel will have to spell out in detail how it's meeting the demands which are incompatible with its military onslaught. Now, just a few things. Firstly, not a single argument, not a single substantial argument by Israel in its defence was entertained here. You can say, well, that's not true. For example, the court condemned the atrocities committed against Israeli civilians on October 7th and demanded the release of all hostages. Well, South Africa had that in their own legal case. Despite the truly repulsive attempts to smear the South African uh, state and its team as the legal arm of Hamas, as Israeli spokespeople and their stooges kept putting it. People who've condemned Israel's genocidal onslaught, like myself, have consistently condemned atrocities against Israeli civilians and called for all hostages to be released. That's not a win for Israel. That's simply a basic demand and set of observations we should all abide by. Now, secondly, the key arguments of Israel received as much validation as it was possible for the court to grant at this stage, that Israel is plausibly in violation of the Genocide Convention from its conduct to its failure to punish incitement of genocide. Thirdly, it wasn't even close. There was a lot of discussion beforehand about how close this would be, with judge representing states which are allies of Israel discounted, say, the American judge, who's the president, who is a major part of the US legal establishment. Was she really going to suggest Israel, Israel, could plausibly be committing genocide in Gaza? Really? Well, guess what? That establishment American judge, appointed by the world's superpower guarantor and underwriter of Israeli impunity, did rule that Israel could be plausibly committing genocide against the Palestinian people of Gaza. That itself shows how damning the evidence is. There was near unanimity with two dissenting voices, Israel's ad hoc judge Aaron Barak, well, I think we can just discount him, to be, to be honest, and Uganda's judge, who seems like a truly fascinating individual, given she even voted against humanitarian aid for Gaza. Now, it's striking that even the Israeli judge I just discounted voted in support of preventing and punishing incitement to genocidal acts as well as the vote on humanitarian aid. The key headline point is this. The highest court on the face of the earth believes it is entirely plausible that the state of Israel is committing genocide against the Palestinian people and that drastic action must be taken to stop that plausible catastrophe from happening. Fourthly, Israel 
now has an ongoing case alleging it is committing genocide, being considered by the highest court on earth by a range of judges who are nearly unanimously convinced that it has a case to answer. This would have been absolutely unthinkable, say, five years ago. Israel has long enjoyed impunity. It is rightly believed, quite rationally, it can get away with absolutely everything and anything. That now faces its biggest threat since Israel was founded back in 1948. Now, a lot of attention has been given to the ICJ not ordering a ceasefire. That's come from triumphant apologists for Israel, but Palestinians are themselves publicly, in terms of many key figures, hugely um, important figures as well, that we need to listen to, whatever they say on this, clearly. Some believe it's a great victory, others are despondent about the lack of any call for a ceasefire. Now look, I'm a white Brit, currently in Athens, in comfortable surroundings, over 700 miles away now from the horror befalling Gaza. I'm not experiencing the huge trauma befalling those trapped on the hell on earth that is Gaza, nor am I in a Palestinian, a part of a Palestinian diaspora suffering the intense trauma of watching this calamity before my people, many losing their relatives, loved ones, friends. What I can only speak to is what the ICJ ruling means for those of us who want to put pressure on our governments to stop facilitating what we believe to be a... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Genocide. Now, the first point I'd make is, how is it possible to abide by the demands of the ICJ provisional measures without ceasefire? That means not killing Palestinians, not maiming Palestinians, not causing mental harm to Palestinians, ensuring access to water and food and humanitarian aid and so on. Literally impossible. This is explained by South Africa's Foreign Minister, Naledi Pandur. Israel was to comply with this, the ruling. It did in fact, even though it wasn't specified, it means they have to have a seat. The order cannot be implemented well, in any way, you, shape or form. How do you transport humanitarian aid without a ceasefire? Exactly. How would you provide uh, water, access to energy? How do you ensure Civilians uh, are not those who are injured uh, have uh, health care and yep. so on? Uh, without a ceasefire, uh, none of these things uh, can be done. So, if you read the order by implication, a ceasefire must happen. Yes. Exactly. The order cannot be implemented in any way, shape or form without a ceasefire. It's as simple as that. But you could say, well, the ICJ has previously ordered a ceasefire. There's a precedent. Look at the example of Russia's invasion of Ukraine when they demanded an immediate cessation of those hostilities. But as the South African legal academic Juliet McIntyre points out, this is not comparing like a like. She says, the court really didn't want to talk about ceasefires or military action or self-defence at all. It was careful to emphasise that its role is very limited to only breaches of the convention. 
Now, this might be one reason the court didn't order a ceasefire, because it considered that it couldn't do so when the legality of the military action is determined by matters outside the scope of the current case. That's an additional point she makes. It's different from Ukraine, she goes on to say, because there the military action was premised on the Genocide Convention. It was a straight line here that doesn't apply. What does she mean there? You see, in that particular case, Russia argued that the basis for its invasion was that Ukraine was in violation of the Genocide Convention by committing genocide in the Donbass. Now, the LCJ ruled it wasn't true and that therefore the basis of the invasion was null and void, so it had to stop. There was also the purely legal rather than moral argument that Israel is a state and a signatory of the 1948 Genocide Convention and thus supposedly under the power of the ICJ and Hamas isn't, so Hamas isn't a party to the case, so there's no power to order a ceasefire in the sense of imposing it on both sides. In terms of now legality, maybe they've concluded then that they cannot order a ceasefire if they can only order one side to do so. Um, however, one-sided the so-called war happens to be in practice, of course. Now, the ICJ, in any case, is clearly taking a narrow view under the Genocide Convention, which is to conclude there is a plausible case Israel's in violation of that convention, that is, it is plausibly committing genocide, and that emergency measures must be taken. Now, for example, one judge, India's Dalvir um, Bandari, Dalvir Bandari, has attached his own personal view to the case in which he declares that all participants in the conflict must ensure that all fighting and hostilities come to an immediate halt and that remaining hostages captured on the 7th of October are unconditionally released forthwith. Now, is that indicative of a view that a ceasefire order only comes if it can be binding on both sides? He goes on to note that given Israel's pattern of conduct, that's sufficient on its own to establish a plausibility finding in terms of genocide. So look, it really is time to take stock here. This isn't simply a question, by the way, of is Israel committing war crimes? That's not what this is even about. We're, we're having a discussion here about genocide. I mean, you can commit heinous crimes without committing genocide. So th th this is just how much the bar has shifted here. There's a, you know, it's not even, are they committing war crimes or not? Clearly they're committing rampant war crimes. I mean, it's just a piss state to suggest otherwise. The question is, we're talking about genocide, which is very rare to get to legally stick on any state. Now, for Western politicians and most Western media outlets and commentators, Israel has merely been engaged in a war self-defense with a side discussion about whether maybe or maybe not it hasn't been proportionate or maybe or maybe not there have been excesses. But, you know, let's just pivot back to 7th of October whenever that discussion comes up. It should always have been obvious from the very start that Israel plausibly intended to commit genocide against the Palestinian people. Why? Because its leaders and generals and media outlets keep saying overtly genocidal things. You only needed to listen to them. But for some reason, these multiple, relentless, countless statements have been ignored by Western media outlets in the main, let alone used to shape coverage of this hideous massacre. There has been no sense whatsoever that the things Israel's leaders and army officers have said over and over and over and over and over again may actually be things they really mean and actually reveal their actual intent. Now, one example given in the judgment, I know, was the defence minister, Yov Gallant, telling soldiers after October 7th, he had released all restrictions on soldiers on the eve of a physical invasion invasion of Gaza. Well, what does that mean other than giving Israeli soldiers a carte blanche to behave exactly as they wish in Gaza? Restrictions being, what, the laws and rules which govern the conduct of war? Why hasn't that one statement, let alone the others, been allowed to shape coverage and allow scrutiny and a discussion about the plausible behaviour of Israeli soldiers, many of whom are just loudly broadcasting their war crimes on social media to the whole world. Instead, Western media outlets have largely hidden 
from their readers and viewers the genuine scale of horror unfolding in Gaza in their name. Western governments have been giving Israel weapons to plausibly commit genocide. They've been giving Israel diplomatic and political cover to plausibly commit genocide. The most egregious example is, of course, Joe Biden. He will be damned by history for his murderous complicity. It, of course, means the Conservative government of Rishi Sunak. And it means the Labour opposition, led by Keir Starmer, a lawyer who has no excuses, who backed at the start Israel's right to cut off water and energy, an example of a potentially genocidal siege cited in this very judgment by the ICJ. Now, it was Keir Starmer's leadership, I know, which threatened to kick out a Labour MP this week because he had the audacity to speak the truth and say that Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, has blood on his hands. These are examples of guilty men, the guilty men who do have the blood of tens of thousands of Palestinians on their hands, which they must never, ever be allowed to wash away. We must build on this ICJ judgment to hold our leaders to account for their involvement in what is now legally recognised as a potential genocide in order to demand they stop arming and backing Israel's mass murder. In the here and now, the terrible suffering of the Palestinian people goes on, and Israel shows no interest in abiding by the demands of any external body. Only when arms and support from the Western states are cut off will things change. So we have to build in this moment to hold the guilty men to account and stop the genocide of the Palestinian people in its tracks. Now, we've got lots of interviews on this to come, not least, of course, with Palestinian voices. Please like and subscribe. Do keep the show on the road on patreon.com. You can also share this video, get the message out. Uh, I'll speak to you soon.